36 point something displayed on the screen. That's a cumulative gas mileage. Well, that's not that great, but it's all right. But I assume that people, when people take test drives, they must really like to gun it. And I'll be able to do better than that. And I have watched for the last year and a half as the mileage, the cumulative mileage has gone steadily up. It went up through the 30s and then it's gone up through the 40s. And it's been recently at 48.9, which I really love. And I've just been waiting for that 10th to come. <laughs> and I coast down hills. I do. I do all kinds of stuff. I'm total, I know about what speed to drive it, and I'm, it's a game. And so uh, I drove up to Wisconsin this week, and it, it does better on the road, and I thought, it's certainly going to change. I'm going to get that 49 this week. But I didn't. I got all the way back home, and it hadn't changed. But then, yesterday, I just had forgotten about it. I looked at that dial, and it said 49.0. And the first thing that popped into my mind is, it's a miracle. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing that popped into my mind. It's a miracle. So it's rather interesting that I reacted that way. I think maybe that's part of my Southern Baptist upbringing, that I reacted that way. Well, it's not really a miracle. It's actually the total miles traveled divided by the number of gallons of gas consumed equals 49.0. That's actually what it is. But I had that reaction that it's a miracle and it really made me happy and it still makes me happy whenever I notice that on my dashboard. And you know that feeling it's a miracle happened to me yesterday too when the Cubs won that ball game. <laughs> But I have a lot of good Cardinals fans, and I really and truly wish you the best. <laughs> I have been watching several baseball games recently, and it's interesting how baseball players do certain kinds of things, too. For example, a number of pitchers in baseball, if they get out of a tough inning and they get that third out, as they walk off the field, they point up like this. Have you seen that? Has anyone seen that? You guys got to watch more baseball. <laughs> a guy did it yesterday, as a matter of fact, in the Cubs-Cardinals game. A guy hit a home run for the Cardinals, and as he came off the field, he went like that. So that's an interesting thing to observe. Why do people do that? I think they do that because they think that maybe there's some divine being cheering for their team. Or maybe it's just something you learn when you're growing up. I don't know. I don't know. But these are common reactions that we may have to things. But we're living in a society right now where interpretations of events that appeal to a supernatural being are in general losing ground. In general, those ways of looking at things are losing ground, although that certainly is not that Everyone, by any means, it's probably the, the majority of our culture is still definitely theistic. And it's certainly not true in other parts of the world where religion is very strong and in many ways growing. Both Christianity and Islam are growing religions on planet Earth. And 
uh, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. So religion is not going away by any means, even though there's some interesting trends in this country and in Europe. It, religion is growing on the planet and will not go away probably any time very soon that, that I can foresee. We people in the West, and especially in this country, we tend to think of religion in terms of belief. What do you believe, you know? Um, Christians believe in this, and Muslims believe in this, and if you're an atheist, you probably don't believe any of those things that the Christians and Muslims believe, but we, this is the question we ask, what do you believe? Personally, I do not think this is a very good way to understand religion. And actually, that's what I want to talk about today. I don't think that's a good way to understand what's going on in religion at all. For starters, belief tends to be an issue that is particularly important to Christians and particularly important to Protestants, really. And so especially among Protestants, and when I was growing up Baptist, it was always, what do you believe? Because what you believe is the most important thing and it will determine your eternal fate and all that. But in most other religions, that's not the important question at all. Judaism is not primarily about what people believe. They don't, for the most part, go around asking people what they believe. Judaism is primarily about observing the laws and traditions of Judaism. There's a certain tradition there and you're supposed to follow that. Islam is not about belief. Islam is about practicing the five pillars of the Muslim faith, and it's outlined clearly. You have certain obligations, and you're supposed to do some things on a daily basis, and some things once a year, called the five pillars. Buddhism is not about belief. You know, Buddhists, for the most part, don't go around asking people what they believe. It just isn't that relevant. What Buddhists say is, do you want to come to meditation on Thursday night? So there's a practice there. There are practices. And what Buddhism usually says is that Buddhism is interested in alleviating suffering. That's sort of the bottom line in Buddhism, is to alleviate suffering. And belief is not particularly part of that. As a matter of many Buddhists will say that belief is really just a distraction. It just gets your mind going on something else and it'd be good to just let go of all that stuff. So while Christians tend to emphasize belief, many other traditions don't. In fact, they mostly don't. And even Christianity is about much more than just what you believe. And every religion is about much more than belief. Religion is a complicated business. I say that to myself sometimes during the week when there's so much stuff going on. I say, yeah, religion is a complicated business. It involves lots of different things, including rituals, stories, symbols, traditions, works of literature, acts of caring and compassion, taking social positions, institutions and organizations, festivals, family connections, rites of passage, spiritual disciplines, 
and perhaps the most important of all, shared meals like potlucks. Our Unitarian Universalist tradition, by the way, has all of these elements in some form or another. We even have beliefs. We just don't have a single set of beliefs. And we don't place that high uh, importance about belief in general. My colleague in Racine, Wisconsin, Reverend Tony Larson says that we UUs have actually more beliefs than anyone because we all have beliefs. I think that sometimes critics of religions make the assumption that if some particular belief in some tradition turns out not to be true, then the religion will fall apart. For example, if it turns out that there's no virgin birth or nobody turned the water into wine, as happy a thought as that might be, or if Jesus wasn't really supernatural, if we find out that those things are not true, surely the whole thing will fall apart. And actually, that doesn't seem to be true at all because those ideas are very widespread in the world right now and the religions don't show any sign of falling apart. So what I think happens there is that we have a cultural bias of thinking that belief is really more important than what it really is. Belief is something, but it doesn't determine the whole meaning of some religious tradition. Religion is not primarily a set of propositions that give proved true or false. That's not what it is. You know, you might, in other words, it's not primarily about saying God exists. T or F? Hey, take your choice. But that's not primarily of what's going on in religion, and I think that's a mistake that, that it's easy to make. Religion is far more complex, more subtle, and more tenacious than merely a set of statements about historical or factual truth. Part of why this is true is that human beings are simply not that rational. I think that's another mistake we make when we think about things, assuming that human beings are somehow rational beings. This is not true at all. You, you want to argue, I'll talk to you. We'll go have a latte. We are capable of rationality, but it is not our 24-hour-a-day primary mode of operation. We have several different brains in there and they have different ideas about things that may not involve rationality. So we operate not just on reason, but we operate on stories, myth, association, intuition, emotion, feeling, attraction and repulsion, and the overwhelming urge to survive. If we expect human beings to be rational, I think this will lead to confusion and disappointment. It really does. Exhibit A, the United States Congress. 
a place you would expect to be overflowing with rationality. But really, it seems very hard to find. Religion, what is called religion in history and in common parlance, is a package of experiential modes that address various dimensions of human experience. It's not a science class or a philosophy lecture. That may, those, those kinds of rational endeavors are good things, but they're not the same thing. Interestingly enough, some aspects of religion are subject to scientific investigation. For example, we can demonstrate that many forms of meditation have measurable results. That's really being researched very thoroughly right now, and these meditation techniques come out of religious traditions. One of the real strongest skeptics in the world right now, Sam Harris, is, is, agrees with this, that, that meditation is real, mystical experiences are real, actually. That there's, there's quite a lot of agreement that mystical experience actually happens and it can be documented. There is also some evidence that prayer has measurable results. I prayed yesterday that the Cubs would win, and they did, so. <laughs> that proves it. Oh, I know you're thinking negative thoughts right now about, about that logical sequence. Uh, you don't think that's true, do you? All right, forget that. The doubter claims that there isn't anybody hearing the prayer. But this actually is not true. There are always someone hearing the prayer, and that would be the people in the room. They're hearing it. So, including the one offering the prayer. And I would suggest to you, you know, I'm a UU minister. All UU ministers have to go through chaplaincy. We all do. We all have to go through chaplaincy. And when you go through chaplaincy, you pray with people many times every day. Something does happen during prayer that is not dependent upon whether or not there is a God that exists. It isn't dependent on that. I don't know if that sounds right to you or not, but it has an effect on people. It has an effect on people that is not connected to whether or not there is a deity. There's a story about the Holocaust uh, that some inmates of a concentration camp were sitting around bemoaning their fate and talking about how horrible it was in the concentration camp. And they specifically said that there must not be a God. Because if there was a God, then that God would never let this happen. And so they talked about this extensively, and they all, according to this story, came to the conclusion that there must not be a God. And so they sat there, and then one said, what should we do now? And another one said, we should pray. That's another of those little paradoxical kinds of behavior.
I just want to say that religion is such a complex phenomenon and so deeply ingrained in human cultural evolution that it doesn't stand or fall on whether or not there's a God or whether or not somebody turned water into wine. It doesn't stand or fall on those things. I'd love to, if you want to sit down and talk about this more, I would be glad to do that. We know some other things that can be demonstrated. There's research, some of it's in the book, The How, the How of Happiness by Sonia Libomirsky. There's research that people who participate in religious communities tend to be healthier and happier than those who don't. We know that people who express gratitude, which is often a part of religion and probably grew up in religious traditions, are happier and healthier than people who don't do that. So it seems that many of these activities associated with religion have actual benefits. William James and Don, John Dewey, who I quoted today, were two philosophers who were no, known as religious pragmatists. They proposed that religious truth should be measured by outcomes and not by factual accuracy. It was kind of a crazy idea, but that was the path of pragmatism. This is a different way of thinking about things than we may be used to. In our church, what is the most popular event of the year? Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the most highly attended event in the church year, regularly. So, why is that true despite the fact that many of the people who participate in that service do not think that story has any accuracy whatsoever. I mean zero. It's not just that there weren't any angels. It's not just that the shepherds didn't really come or the wise men didn't really come. It's not just the details. It's not just that Mary was not a virgin. It's, not, it's just that that whole event probably just did not occur. But that brings out more people than any night of the year. Why do we come to that service, ladies and gentlemen? Why do we do that? Maybe we like the candles. Maybe we like the tree. It looks so great. Maybe we love the music. When Emmy plays Oh Holy Night, which we don't believe happened, <laughs> on that, and we all start crying. What is wrong with us? I thought we were rational. That's not rational at all. Maybe we love the cookies. Some of us love the cookies. Maybe we just love seeing old friends and family who show up at that event, who are in town for the holidays. Maybe even though we may not believe the story, we do believe the message of love. Maybe we think that message is actually right. Maybe it grabs us. Maybe we love all the old traditions. We love to see the kids come up and hear a story. That is not true. All those stories are not true, ladies and gentlemen, in a factual sense. So maybe we love all kinds of things 
that are associated with that religious tradition other than the literal beliefs. I find this endlessly fascinating. Maybe when we show up to that service, we have correctly discerned what is actually going on. That there's a powerful message embedded in candles and stories and cookies and seeing our friends and standing in a circle. There's a powerful message embedded in that tradition, which grabs us. It really grabs us. Our world is far more complex and our behavior is far more complex than a series of statements to be proved true or false. That's not a description of reality. And to navigate this world and help to move it in a positive direction, I think we need to see this reality and we need to learn to communicate in multiple ways. You know who gets this is that guy, the Pope. He gets this. He, he was a pretty successful guy until down at the end there where it looks like somebody tried to entrap him in something that he didn't actually do. But the Pope clearly knows how to do this communication through affection, inclusiveness, personal warmth, personal integrity. He doesn't go up to people and say, are you doing all the doctrines of the church? He goes up to them and says, I love you. Those are two very different things. Two very different things. The religions of the world are not going away at least not anytime soon, even though there will be local changes in different parts of the world and different countries. Religion, as E.O. Wilson says, is something embedded in human existence, at least at this point. Maybe in 500 years, we're all going to be Spock. I don't know. But not right now. And strange as it may seem, we are part of that broad and diverse spectrum. We are the part of the spectrum that affirms freedom and inclusiveness and tends to be suspicious of creeds and doctrines. We are that part of the spectrum. We are the church of the not church. We just say to everyone, we don't believe in church, come to our church. <laughs> You'll love it. <laughs> and if you think that is paradoxical, then welcome to the world. For thinkers like James and Dewey, the question was, how do we harness these feelings? Dewey calls them not religion, but religious. How do we harness the feelings of faith, the optimism, the desire to transform the world, the sense of community, and the sense of being united with the universe that religions traditionally offer, while at the same time being willing to leave behind outdated 
beliefs and restrictive dogmas. How do we do that? How do we keep that sense of optimism about life and love for the other person and the sense we can transform the world even when we find out that maybe the water wasn't turned into wine because it doesn't make sense. Does that kind of approach sound anything like what we are doing in our community? I think it does. This week, about 30 or 35 of us are going to Salt Lake City to participate in a significant interreligious conference, a planetary interreligious conference. We're going to meet people of all kinds of religious traditions. And some of them may strike us as strange, and perhaps some of them may seem like they're seriously mistaken about things from our wise point of view. And yet, these are the people of our planet. These, this is our people, the Earth people. We're the Earth people. This is who we human beings are at this time in our cultural evolution. I have this feeling that even though they may seem strange to us, we also will seem strange to them and they will have little meetings in the evening where they will talk in puzzled terms in Arabic or Japanese or Swahili about us. They will say, who were those people? What, what were they called? You know what? Who are they? And then someone will say, oh, they're a very small group from the United States. <coughs> I don't know much about them. But I hope we will have a chance to talk to these people in ways that enlarge our lives. The world we live in is far more complex, far more interconnected, and we are far more dependent on each other for survival than we are generally aware of. We need to learn to live together just like we learned in Sunday school. You know, that's what we say in Sunday school. We need to learn to live together. This is a serious message. People in other traditions are not unintelligent or tragically error-prone. They are our fellow inhabitants of planet Earth. And according to our principles, they all have worth and dignity. Everyone. We will need their cooperation to solve the very serious problems on this earth. The problems that we are facing of war and climate change and inequality and poverty and disease are not going to be solved just by the UUs or any other single group. It's going to be an interconnected cooperative venture because these issues are too big. It will need all the, as the Dalai Lama likes to say, we need all the religious people and all the non-religious people. All of them. If we think that these traditions can be dismissed over some old story like virgin birth or water turning into wine, then I worry that we miss the point. The point is that we are all in need of healing. 
We're all in need of community. We're all in need of peace on the streets and peace on earth. Even in our own city, someone just got killed again. So we all have that need. Our ability to see beyond quick judgments, to perceive the deep longings we share with all people, will contribute to the likelihood of finding some peaceful way for us all to live on this planet. Reason will be a major skill that will be required, but it won't be the only one. We will also need the skills of the heart, music, dialogue, stories, shared festivals, and taking the risk of trust. We will have to go with whatever works, whatever leads us out of the slavery of perpetual war and into the shared delight of peace.